They're about to create no. history as the only team ever at a World Cup to lose a pool game and go on and lift the biggest prize of them all. <laughs> South Africa In color, blacks and whites, everybody united under one banner. See how has brought the Web Ellis Cup back home for us. The jubilation of a nation as South Africa wins the 2019 Rugby World Cup. And then Irish journalist Neil Francis, a former World Cup forward, goes and claims the victory is tainted by performance-enhancing drug use. Sour grapes from an underperforming nation? South Africa won. Um, I don't think that Neil knows how much this means for South Africa, what it's done for South Africa, the unity it's created in South Africa. Yes, we have our problems, but can't you allow us to just have our, our, our fame and our moments, or do you just have to criticise every single aspect of the team? Our moments included a pre-tournament positive drugs test returned by a young Springbok player, which Francis said pointed to a far bigger problem. The test results revealed a sophisticated cocktail of three anabolic steroids, which the writer said were unlikely to have been self-administered. And he accused World Rugby of happily turning a blind eye in spite of other recent cases in the Republic. For somebody who is criticising or suggesting that there may be drug use behind a major sporting success, there is never a right time to do it. There really isn't. (laughs) If you attack a feel-good story and say, well, possibly there's some sinister drug use behind this, it really does feel like killing Bambi. Kia ora, I'm Anna Thomas, and on the detail today, how often are suspicions over doping in sport true? Did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. After years of denials, Armstrong finally admits that none of his seven Tour de France victories was raced cleanly. Lance Armstrong used, possessed, and distributed these dangerous drugs all so that they could win Tour de France's. Long-time sports journalist and News Talk ZB host Phil Gifford says success will often be a reason to turn a blind eye to drug cheating. I talked to him after he wrote a column for The Herald headlined Exposing Drug Cheats, a Thankless Task. Neil Francis attracted flack from uh, South African fans after this claim about the drug cheat after the World Cup. You said in your piece that when a story that warms us all is challenged, it can feel like someone is killing Bambi. But how often are these stories true, Phil? Sadly, as far as drugs and sport go, quite often stories are true. And I mean, I go way back to the 1976 Montreal Olympics when a colleague at the, the now defunct Auckland star, Roy Williams, who was, a, as it happened, a Commonwealth athlete, uh, gold medalist as well. Roy was jeered at, literally jeered at, by fellow journalists at a conference when a man called Lassie Viren, who had won gold medals uh, in the middle distance events at Montreal, and Roy asked him about blood doping. Now, it's now, at the time, Lassie Viren said, yeah, that's right, I used reindeer blood and sneered at him, you know. Mm. Now, at the time, Roy was considered like an outlier, and what's weird, why on earth would this guy say this thing? How dare he, this this hero, Lassie Viren? Um, But, of course, years later, we found out that, in fact, 
that the Swedish athletes, it wasn't just Leslie Byrne, but a whole bunch of them had been deeply involved in blood doping, which at the time wasn't illegal but was considered unethical and later on became illegal. So what are the repercussions for Junos who do expose drug cheats? I think if you look at David Walsh, the guy that uh, called out Lance Armstrong. The drugs. U.S. Postal Service's pro cycling team, including Lance Armstrong, ran the most sophisticated and successful drug program that we've ever seen. Lance Armstrong is the greatest cheater in all of cycling's history. He's the classic example of a person where, I mean, he almost lost his job at the London Sunday Times because Lance Armstrong sued them and settled out of court for what is reputedly, because as I'm sure you're aware and a lot of people listening will know, that court settlements in libel cases are usually the actual amount is kept secret. But it's believed to be in the vicinity of one million British pounds, around two million New Zealand dollars. And David Walsh apparently was like on a razor's edge to losing his job at the Sunday Times. And the only thing that allowed him to keep his job was that the editor of the time backed Walsh and said, yes, we will run the story. I believe that your sources are strong enough for us to sustain a court case, which it turned out at the time they weren't. And one of the things that really makes me think about when you are taking on, say, a Lance Armstrong, and he's you know obviously the best known of these cases, but when you are taking on a story, Lance Armstrong, he's got this amazing backstory. He he did have cancer. He you know recovered from cancer, and as he would say, to think that I'm going to come back into sport and risk my life with performance-enhancing drugs is crazy. Well, it turns out, yes, he did, and yes, he was quite prepared to do that. But when a guy like Lance Armstrong, who's very persuasive, gets into court and basically plays the sob story... They say, it's impossible, so he must be doing something. ..which is a great sob story because it's based on truth, that is, having cancer, then the part of the sob story that are blatant lies, that is, I would never take any drugs, that becomes totally believed as well. And so, getting back to David Walsh, yeah, he was very, very fortunate. He managed just to hang on to his job by the skin of his teeth... And then eventually, and that's the one part that for crusading journalists, which I wouldn't include myself as one of those at all, and I admire people that go out on a limb like Walsh did, but for real crusading journalists, quite often they, are fine, they finally get the reward or they finally get justification, but it can take decades rather than years. And do you think the fear of, say, being sued does stop journalists, and, and even journalists in New Zealand, from exposing possible drug taking? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, if, if I take as a classic example of a massive drug taker in New Zealand sport, um, Robin Tate. Robin Tate won the uh, gold medal in the discus of the 1974 Commonwealth Games in Christchurch. I talk about Robin, and I'm going to talk about Robin now because he was a good friend, but I'm not betraying him in any way because in private, Robin basically was thrilled with the fact that any drug that was available he took, including steroids, and he used to, he had this standing joke about how because one of the effects of steroid use in males can be a shrinking of the genitalia. So he called himself a 20-stone bombshell with a two-inch fuse. You know, I mean, he just thought that was hilariously funny. Tatey was a massive drug user. I'm talking with him socially, and he's talking about all the drugs he uses, about the steroids and about the amphetamines and about everything else that he takes. Now, can I then go and write that story? Because... Unless he was telling me on the record, and I've got a tape recorder running, and Robin would never do that. He would only t- tell you in what amounted to off-the-record comments. And if, if he'd then chosen to sue me, I didn't have any proof. I only had 
a, a, a conversation with him in which he told me himself that had taken it, it would have come down to the credibility of me versus a gold medal winning athlete in court. And if Robin had chosen to lie in court, if it had come to that, which it never ever did because none of us ever ran a story um, while he was alive, then who knows what the consequences would have been as far as libel goes. Well, and they would have believed him over you any day, a gold medal winner. One would have thought so, yeah. you know, and I mean, and, and, and Robin was also an extreme, I mean, look, he, he was a lovable rogue, as they say in the classics. He was extremely likeable, and I think potentially he would have been a great, a great witness for himself in court. And, yeah, they, they, they would have believed. Why would you believe some scummy little journalist when the person who's saying the journalist is lying is a Tour de France winner or a gold medal winner for New Zealand at one of our greatest Commonwealth Games? Hmm. How prevalent or, or widespread do you think it is uh, drug use today? I did go on to the drug-free sport New Zealand and, and I saw that there were nine rugby players just in the last year that have tested positive for banned substances. How widespread is it today? And do you think journalists now are a, a, a little more uh, brave? First of all, how widespread is drug use in a sport like, say, rugby, for example? Um, while there are a number of uh, rugby players every year that get caught out with drug testing, when you look at who they are, are they guys, some of them are not even professional rugby players because one of the scary things to me is, is that steroids are the sort of things now that are used by people who don't expect to be tested and I think one of the things also about rugby in New Zealand is that, by and large, rugby has not had a huge steroid culture in this country. Now, back in the day when Robin Tate was around, um, then there were certain sports that had a massive steroid culture, and athletics was one of them, sadly. Not our runners so much, but our um, field event athletes. And as I said, the only one I'm prepared to name, because others are still alive and could still sue us and everybody else if they wish to. But in rugby, first of all, number one, it wasn't a sport when it was an amateur sport that was very big on steroids because back in the day, rugby wasn't very big on weight training because steroids tend, in, in my experience watching and covering sport for 50 years now, tend to be most used in conjunction with intensive weight training. So, number one, amateur rugby didn't use a lot of weights. Colin Meads ran up down, up and down the back of the farm carrying a sheep under each arm, and that was the training. So he, he wasn't a steroid guy. Then when it became professional, the drug testing became much more rigorous. And you see, there are certain countries, and this is one, where the drug agency are spotlessly clean as far as integrity goes. And so and, and I wrote a book with Dame Valerie Adams, and Valerie talked at length about how the testing regime for, for a person like Valerie, knock on the door, six o'clock on the a, on a morning, come out and give us a sample and, and that sort of thing. So I believe that if the steroid use in rugby, for example, I think it's almost exclusively at the lower level. And again, with guys that have just retired and, and, and I've, I've written books with some of these players, all of them say the same thing. Steroid use in New Zealand rugby is not a very big deal at all. And I think... It's partly culture and partly that they are made incredibly well aware of the fact that they are going to be randomly drug tested at any time of the day or night. So that's in New Zealand, but what about the Springboks? Do you think they're on steroids? thing about the Springboks is that what's spooky to me is there has never been in the last decade an All Black who has tested positive for steroids, whereas there have been a couple of Springboks or three Springboks, I think, that have. 
The other thing that Neil Francis talks about is a really, really scary survey um, taken out in the, in the Natal region of, I think it was 1,200 schoolboys, and 120 of these schoolboy rugby players had taken steroids. And one of the things about that, it, it's, uh, I don't want to get jingoistic or whatever you'd call it, but one of the things about it is that when you have countries where there, uh, there is an enormous, enormous drive to get out of poverty, to get into the top levels. And I'm thinking about places like Belarus, for example, Nadia Ostapchuk, the uh, mm. female shot putter. When you've got a country that is slightly wild west, then it has the potential for people to be using steroids. But those two things that Neil Francis, the Irish uh, writer and former Irish rugby player, quoted, they really concerned me because, as I've said, the guys that were caught... The Springboks that have been caught in the last 10 years were guys that were based in South Africa. I think the Springboks that are playing, and about half of their squad at the World Cup, I think, are playing their club rugby in Europe, where there is rigorous drug testing. I don't think those guys are using. But you can't help but suspect that there possibly are some... Well, I mean, one of the guys was disqualified from going to Japan because he tested positive for steroids. So, and, and not just steroids, but a very sophisticated mix of steroids, actually, um, and so that, that yeah, th- those are just straight out, they are straight out concerns. And it's unfortunate to say, oh, I'm not so sure about this. Some of these guys may have been on drugs. The timing wasn't right for Neil Francis to say straight after that amazing victory by the Springboks in the World Cup where they played terrific rugby, where there was the absolute, the whole rainbow nation. And as we said, if you attack a feel-good story and say, well, possibly there's some sinister drug use behind this, it really does feel like killing Bambi. So do you think he should have waited a little longer? No, because there's no good time. If, if he waited for a year, then people would say, well, if you knew this stuff a year ago, why the hell didn't you say yeah. it then? For somebody who is criticising or suggesting that there may be drug use behind a major sporting success, there is never a right time to do it. There really isn't. The 1986 French rugby test, yeah. I mean, tell us about that. Well, in 1986, the All Blacks were beaten in Nantes by a French team. And uh, it became an infamous game, really, because it was the game in which Buck Shelford was kicked so hard in the groin that his scrotum was split. I looked into the eyes of um, many of the Frenchmen that I passed on the way out, and their eyes were huge, like big tennis balls, and they were glaring at you. They were on something, I believe, and I knew we were going to be up against it. And they were just unrelenting. Every ruck they climbed into, they booted us, they kicked us. Now, at the time, of course, the French said, oh, that's just disgraceful and, you know, it's bad sport because the All Blacks lost. They can't, you know, bring themselves to admit that they were beaten by a better team. And it took 30 years or 29 years, yeah, 29 years um, before the French doctor of the time in 1986 said, yeah, of course, I gave them all amphetamines before the game. What about the English cyclists, for example? I would hope that things like the British cyclists in Rio, that that was a genuine performance, and maybe it was. They are among Britain's greatest sporting heroes. Whose success was built thanks to a ruthless new vision of how to win. But winning had a dark side. So Bradley, could you tell us about the mystery package? Could you give us some light on that, please? 
One of the things about drug use that is sad, and it's the reason it's done, it, it's, it's been so common for so long, and I think it's probably still rife in, in, in some places, and the reason that athletes will spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the most sophisticated medical help to try and uh, beat the drug test is that the money, sim- simply the money, there is so much money involved in it now that it is actually absolutely worthwhile. And the, and the, the worst thing of the lot is drugs do help performance. For example, and I, I'm referenced to you know, one of our local legends, Dame Valerie Adams, I absolutely believe has never used drugs in her career. She's still only rated about like the number 22nd best shot putter that the world's ever seen because all the records were set back in the 70s and 80s when the communist bloc countries, and we now know, bless them, the East Germans in particular, kept impeccable records of the drugs that they were feeding to their athletes. All of those field uh, records that were set, all of them were, I believe almost without fail, were set using drugs. Valerie Adams won silver in the shot put at the London Olympics in 2012, but was promoted to gold when Belarusian Nadzia Otstapchuk was stripped of her medal, having tested positive for steroids. You know, what's happened's happened, um, but I'm just glad the system that has been put in place is working, and that they're cleaning up the sport, the, the sport as much as they can, and I think they're doing a really good job going forward. My feelings, you know, better late than never. She did rob me of the moments. Um, my family was in the stadium. But I, we, we can't go back now. So are our current athletes, do you think they're high-level athletes, are they drug-free or have they just not been caught? I think that in New Zealand, the vast majority... God, this is going to sound so prissy, but I, I do think the vast majority of our athletes in New Zealand are drug-free, partly because they know that if they get caught... In this country, there won't be a tiny little slap over the wrist like there has been for the South African rugby players that have been caught in the last decade. If a New Zealand athlete gets caught here, but let's just take track and field athletes, for example. Most of our track and field athletes in New Zealand don't make squillions of dollars out of it, and they are depending on basically funding from high-performance sport New Zealand. If If they were caught drug cheating, that ends, and it basically means the end of their career. And what about for the journalists? We've heard that you know there was certainly a time in your career with Robin, the, the athlete, that you kept mm. quiet. Are you still keeping quiet? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, first of all, no, I don't have any suspicions about uh, New Zealand athletes. No, I, I genuinely can't think of one that, that I would say, yeah, look at her. I mean, I, know I wouldn't give his or her name, even, even if I did have one, because of, li- because of libel laws are so draconian in this country. But no, I, at the moment, I, I don't believe there are any of our top-ranked New Zealand athletes who um, I'm suspicious of. Do I look back in time, and are there a number of New Zealand sports people that I wonder about? Yeah, I do. But it absolutely, number one, it would still be libelous because they're still around. And number two, even more than that, I just, apart from Robin Tate, I just suspect the other people. I genuinely don't know. And they've certainly never said to me, yeah, I was using steroids, you know. So it, it would be blatantly unfair for me to name any names. So really, you believe that we, as journalists, are doing a good job in New Zealand? I think, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think we're doing as good a job as we can. When Michael Checker accused... New Zealand journalists of being fans with keyboards. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? I've had 
I've had dealings with a huge number of Australian rugby coaches over the years, and some of them, like Bob Dwyer and Rod McQueen, have been really good blokes. Some of them, like Ellen Jones and Michael Checker, um, not so much. And I think Michael Checker has, is that rare combination. Well, maybe not that rare. He's a bully with an incredibly thin skin. So whenever he gets criticised, he's a bit like Donald Trump. He slaps back almost straight away. And as they say, as Richard Nixon said, we don't have Michael Checker to kick around anymore, and I, for one, won't miss him. That's it for today. I'm Anna Thomas. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Our thanks to Phil Gifford. Kaki Tiano. Kaki Tiano.